0: it's that time of the week again it's time for chit chat across the pond this is episode number 469 for december 30th 2016 the last chit chat of the year and i'm your host allison sheridan what better way to wind up the year than to bring back the dulcet tones of alistair jenks from the sitting duck podcast how's
1: it going today alistair i'm great thanks allison it's good to be back again for one of our chit chats
0: Yeah, I always love having you on. That's absolutely for sure. So I want to do a little bit of a setup here of how we ended up in this conversation. Um, A while ago, um, I tricked Alistair into getting into Affinity Photo, which is a pixel editor that I've talked about a lot on the show. And now he's trying to trick me into getting into Affinity Designer. So uh, what turnabout is fair play, right?
1: (laughs) Something like that. I mean, I love Affinity Photo. I'm really glad that you pushed me to do that because I've been one of those people, in fact, I did a review for the no Silica Cast saying one of the best Photoshop alternatives is Photoshop. <laughs> and I've been using that for a number of years. And I'm really happy to say that uh, I've hardly touched Photoshop ooh, in months. Really? If, yeah. Um, Affinity Photo is, it's, it's not quite there, but it's remarkably close and, and operates in many of the same ways. That uh, In fact, some tasks are easier, I've found.
0: Do you find that you're getting into the live filter layers and and that's an advantage actually of something it does better? Uh,
1: I I tend not to use it for photographs. I tend to use it more for, um, like, if I'm creating images for my blog, I might, you know, composite things or it's generally what I would call graphics work rather than uh, playing around with photos. I have used it on a couple of occasions to do something very, very particular um, that. Yeah, I use, normally use Adobe Lightroom, which I'm still stuck with because apparently Affinity are working on a, a asset <laughs> manager, but it's yeah, no. Sign oh of man, it.
0: when they do that,
1: the game might be yeah. over, right? I think it might be. So yeah, it's 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 all of the 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 many tools in there. I find are are very not necessarily intuitive. Well, no, intuitive is is probably correct, but not necessarily discoverable as a Photoshop user.
0: Oh, okay, in Affinity Photo. Yeah. Yeah, I got to say, one of the best ways to learn to to use something is to have to teach it. And it was a huge eye opener to me to do the two video tutorials I did for Screencast Online about Affinity Photo, because you can't just go, oh, I'm just going to poke things. You have to say, "Okay, here it is. Here's why it's here. What it means, you know, in context of what kind of a thing would you want to do with it? And uh, that really that kind of upped my game. But I'm convinced I'm still not even seeing probably 30, 40 percent of the tool yet.
1: Oh, you've got a list of I don't know thirty, forty tools, and each of those might have three or four different modes, and some of those have a fifty different settings, and <laughs> so you can't just go through each one as you can with some of the simpler apps.
0: Right, right. I mean, you could list them, and that'd be oh, fascinating. That's this an is curves tutorial, just in that. Yeah, this is curves. It's for doing curves slide these things. I don't know why. Yeah, it doesn't quite work. Well, so when Alistair started talking about Affinity Designer, um, I, I said, wow, you know, I don't know anything about those kinds of applications. And we're kind of going to get into what kind of an application is it? Um, And I said, well, you should do a review. And you said, it would be as hard for me to do a review of Affinity (laughs) Designer as it was for you to do one of Affinity Photo. So then I thought, well, (laughs) yeah, really, maybe it would be more fun to talk through and have you explain to me what Affinity Designer is, when you would use it and what kind of cool stuff you figured out about it so far.
1: Yeah, I've had a lot of fun playing with it. Um, I've, I've not really used it for a lot of um, what I would call real work as in things that I needed to do and chose to use that as the tool, but I have had a a good play around with it, which is a, you know, as you say, it's a good way to learn how to, how to use something is just play with it.
0: Yeah. So affinity Um, designer is a, is where, where affinity photo is a pixel editor. You're working with dots, literally, um, affinity designer is more vector based. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, and so I've got some notes here on how to work out the differences between these two types of application. And if you go back to the old world, should we call it the old world now of Adobe, <laughs> um, you've got Photoshop and Illustrator are the two equivalent uh, programs. And and there's others as well. I mean, Pixelmator is a pixel editor, and I think, what is it, Inkscape is a vector editor? That's yeah,
0: I think they used Inkscape wear. a long time ago.
1: Yeah. So there's, there's many that fit the these bills, but um, you and I both like Affinity Photo very much, and, and I'm loving Affinity Designer, so we'll try and use that as our reference point. Uh, and also, they're frankly a lot cheaper than most of the others.
0: <laughs> right, so, these are both uh, $50 US?
1: Yeah, which is nothing for the power that you get in these, these applications. Yeah, yeah. I, I tried to come up with an analogy, and I'm not sure I did a great job uh, of just <laughs> Describing because both of them you end up with images, pictures, you know, pretty stuff on the screen. Graphics, right? Graphics, yes. And the only one I came up with, you know, I thought of Steve and space and all that sort of stuff, it was the space shuttle. And (laughs) bear with me. I saw this in the notes. I'm like, what? (laughs) When they sent the space shuttle up, there was telemetry data tons of it. it. was streaming out of that, that spacecraft, all different parts of it, all the different sensors and, and everything. And all that data would go back to mission control and, and they would have a picture of how the mission was going. And arguably you could replay that data, maybe in a simulator or something, and you'd get a very detailed picture of what that mission actually did. Very, very, very detailed. But you would have no real information on how any other mission might have gone. Whereas if, if you look at the parameters of the mission of, of any space shuttle mission, if you take the thrust, the drag, the mass and gravity, and you start just putting together a formula that you can then plug numbers into. So, you know, the next shuttle might be heavier, so you change that number. But you've got these equations effectively that describe hopefully a nice half of a parabola and a bunch of circles. <laughs> um and you can use that description to describe any shuttle mission, even though every individual shuttle mission will be subtly different. What you've got is a description of, I guess, an ideal shuttle mission. So one is a selection of numbers that you plug into equations to pr- provide an ideal picture of what it should be. And the other one is lots and lots and lots of infinite detail of one particular mission. Okay. Okay if you switch that over to what we're talking about here, if you take a picture of something, let's say something really simple, um, like uh, the Luxo lamp from Pixar, for example, Mm -hmm. you can take a photo of a lamp and you've got a photo of the lamp from that angle. And that's it. It's just the photo of one lamp. And if that lamp's got a little dent in one corner, then your photo has the dent. And yes, you can edit the pixels and, and, you know, push them this way and that and and tweak them here and there but you're effectively starting with a fixed image of a lamp. If you get into vector art what you can do is you can describe the curves of the lamp and then you can basically have it draw the lamp any way you want and if you just want to tweak it slightly you don't go in and nudge a few pixels or, or tweak you know the color in this corner what you do is you change the equations or rather you change the numbers that you put into the equations and then you can draw a red lamp a yellow lamp a green lamp um, you can take parts of the lamp off and not show them you can put them back you can't do that with a photo so it's it's about describing objects rather than having an image of a scene I don't know if that makes any sense to you at this point.
0: Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, I'm real tempted to use the word scalable, too. That if anybody who's ever taken a photo and it's it's too low a resolution and you try to increase it in size, you'll notice that you get little jagged edges. Something yeah, they- done with a vector uh, piece of uh, software allows you to scale it, and it's it's basically infinitely scalable, right? You can have a giant lamp or a little bitty lamp, and they both look smooth.
1: Yeah, it certainly is infinitely scalable. I would actually say that's um, a result of, of using vectors rather than, a, well, I'm not even sure of the right word here. You, you kind of get that a, as a, a freebie out of using vectors. That's the bonus prize. Because, yeah, vectors have no scale. If, if you say go you know, one unit right and, and one unit up, what's a unit? You have to, it means nothing until you try and map it to the real world. And that's when you, that's what we call scale. So if one unit is half an inch on your screen, that's fine. But one unit might also mean uh, one parsec, however long that is. I don't know. I just picked a very large <laughs> unit that I've heard of. It, but it's still you know a straight line from here to here or perhaps a curved line, you know, if, if you describe the, the nature of the curve. So The infinite scaling is because you have scaling in the first place. Whereas with pixels, you have a pixel and you can scale the pixels. You can have an image where each pixel is the size of your TV if you want. It's a very big image, but you have to stand a very long way back for it to make sense. Right, right. Whereas with a vector of a rectangle the size of your TV, you can make that a rectangle the size of a postage stamp or the size of a skyscraper. So it's, it's and it's going to look smooth
0: in, no matter how close you are to it.
1: Yes, because you're describing two points and how to join them, and you can move those points further apart by changing the scale.
0: Okay, okay. So I, I think so I understand what this is, but how do you how do you do stuff with it, and what kind of what kind of stuff do you do with it? What what's the use case for it?
1: One of uh, I've always struggled with this term. I use the term graphics, uh, which <laughs> you actually brought up earlier, in that. For example, when I when I used to blog more often, I always used to come up with clever illustrations my blog posts. You know, I might be making um, some comment about how I think was it It was one of those photo services. um, I can't remember what they're called, Picture Life or something. Went belly up, and I blogged about it. And I found an icon of Picture Life, and I found um, well, I probably drew one of those. You know, you get the signs that say no smoking, no something. Yeah. Oh, I'm always doing that.
0: I'm always doing that. And it's really hard in a pixel editor.
1: <laughs> well, it, it's it is doable in a pixel editor, but you're kind of fighting the model. Whereas, you know, in a vector editor, all you do is you say, Well, give me a circle and give me a line that goes across it and, and I can, you know, describe how you can build that. And then you can use that at any size across any image and That's another uh, trick here, too, is that in vector applications such as Affinity Designer, you can still have pixel-based images as objects, and that gets kind of weird. But, for example, what I would do is I would take the icon of, of Picture Life and then I would superimpose the, you know, what is what? Do you, what would you call that? The no something here. The no, s- the no symbol. <laughs> the no symbol, right? Superimpose that over it. Now, in the past, I would have just used a pixel editor for that because many pixel editors do actually have basic shape tools that will let you draw a circle and, oh, a button, for but, example.
0: Oh, but Alistair, you have to. Okay, so you draw a circle and you fill it with red. Then you have to draw another circle that you somehow have to magically get centered in the exact same center as the (laughs) first one. And you're sitting there going, okay, is it like option or is it control or command? And then do I drag from the center? Is it from the edge? And it's like, okay, that's kind of offset. And then you get that done. You're saying, okay, now I didn't need to draw a diagonal line. And I got to figure out how to set the thickness. I am not joking. I am buying it right now based on that. That is something I do (laughs) all the time. Like when I did the no Samsung. That probably took me an hour and a half to draw the no symbol over the Samsung logo.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. So that's the kind of um, use I normally have for uh, image editors. And and as I say, I have used pixel editors for a long time. And ones like Photoshop and Affinity Photo do have shape tools in LA to do this more easily. uh, Because when I say shape tools... There's the primitive type of shape tool, which is you know draw a circle here, and it put, it draws the pixels on your image that look like a circle. But they do actually have proper object-based shapes as well, where you can say draw this circle, but but leave it as an object and not don't just paint the pixels. And then you can resize them and move them around. And that's a little weird in that you're dealing with uh, vector-based shapes in a pixel editor. And I've already said you can use pixel-based objects in a vector editor, so that there is quite a lot of crossover, and that can get a little confusing at times. Hmm. But but perhaps, you know, let's take the, the no symbol as an example of how to describe how vector programs actually work. And the short description is that it's all lines. Everything is a line. It's as simple as that. There's nothing more to it, right? Easy? No. There is a little <laughs> bit more to it. Every line is goes from one point to another as normal definition of a line, I think (laughs) Uh, it may be straight or it may be curved and you can then apply attributes to that. So it may be yellow and three units thick. Okay. So you basically, if you want to know symbol, you need a line that goes like a circle which is usually there's a tool to make that easy because actually drawing a line in the shape of a circle is really hard. (laughs) I tried it the other day just as an exercise. uh, You can get it really close, but the human eye is really good at spotting something that's not quite a circle. (laughs) So you use the circle tool and what it gives you is a line that goes around in a circle and then you add another line that goes from one edge to the other, probably diagonally, I suppose. And then you can sort of group those together to behave as one. Now, to make that into a no symbol, you need to actually give it some some presence. So a, a line, by default, has no thickness. This is the same as true in, in your mathematics class, right? A line has right. no – it's, it's two-dimensional, right? Right. Uh, no, one-dimensional. Is that right? One-dimensional. Um, Correct. Yes. A line is one-dimensional? Yes. Anyway, so what, what you do is you describe the start and end point of the line, and then you say, I want you to draw this line – let's say, five units wide in red, okay? Mm-hmm. Sure. So if you've got this this infinitely thin circle with an infinitely li- thin line going from one edge to the other and you say, draw all that five units wide in red, then you have your, I forget what we're calling it, no symbol, that's right. <laughs> now, when I say a line, there's actually, there's two ver- two variations on a line. There's straight lines and what I'm going to call Bezier. I think is actually co- more correctly pronounced Bezier, but I've said Bezier for so many years that I. I, I <laughs> you did know, the they sound about the you. same to me. I did the review of Primitive for you, which was in the last show, and I tried saying Bezier and I completely stuffed up my reading of the script. I, in the end, <laughs> I had to just give up and go for Bezier.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's close enough, Alistair. I, I don't think the uh, the pronunciation police will be on, give you a hard time for it.
1: It has one of those acute things over that first E, which just, I don't know.
0: So, a line... By the way, do you want to remember, a a way to remember uh, which kind of French accent that is? It's (laughs) accent. Oh, you don't want to know?
1: (laughs) Yeah, go on, tell me.
0: (laughs) Uh, An acute angle is the one that goes from horizontal to the right, up, uh, what is that, counterclockwise. So, it's accentique and accent grave. So, the left, I think that means left or... Now nah, I forget what that <laughs> means, but the acute angle is excentigu. Uh huh.
1: That's oh, pretty much that the rest of it's it. All,
0: <laughs> it's about all I remember from French class. Okay, so anyway, much. Bezier curves. So wh- what Bezier are they?
1: Curves. So I I actually had to play around with with some in affinity designer the other day to try and understand them, and really what it is, it's still a line that goes from one point to another. But it does so in a, on a curved path. And it does this by using control points. Now, there's variations on how these control points work. But, but fundamentally, you've got the start point and the end point. Let's imagine a horizontal line. Let's say it goes the width of your screen you know, across from left to right. The control points control how the line leaves each end of you – know, how it leaves each of the, the points that define the line. So if the control points lie in the same line as you know as the horizontal line between the two points you will have a straight line but if you lift the left-hand control point up the curve will actually start to go up from the left and then slowly come back down to the right and if you lift the, if you take the right-hand control point and you pull it down you'll start to generate what looks like a sine curve for example so it'll go up and then come back through the middle and then down and then back up to the The final point again. It's really hard to describe in words, it turns out.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if I followed any of that. But okay. So I I get that I've seen these things before where you've you've got some line that ends up with a curve to it, and on the uh on the arc of the curve, there'll be a line that's tangential to the to the edge, and you can and that, that little tangential line can be rotated, which causes the shape of the curve right where it meets
1: it to change. Yeah. So essentially, if you draw a line between the point and it, of the the point on the line and its control point, the curve will start off as a tangent to that. And the further away the control point is, the more it will stick on that original tangent. So if you move it really close, it just does a little slight deviation. And if you move it really far away, it really pulls it up out of out of the straight line. Hmm. <clears throat> okay. Um, and and so by manipulating those points it's actually a lot easier if you just you know go into the tool and actually just play with it and you'll see what i mean oh no, i am you, you're pulling <laughs> that tangent i really did buy it right when i told you i was going to <laughs> um and for for example like drawing a circle if you can imagine the way it, this um affinity designer does it the points on the circle are if you imagine a compass at north uh, east south and west and the control points so if you take the west point for example so on the left-hand side of the circle the control point is vertically above and it's I think it's a little over halfway up to the height of the north point hmm. and that makes you know it, that makes that particular arc from west to north along with the control point coming out of the north one that goes halfway to the left and that sort of pulls it out into a circular shape and if you pull it out too far you get a what do they call it a squircle or something like that Okay. And if you push and if you push it in closer to the the actual end points of the lines, then you get something that looks more like a a rounded diamond, as it were. Hmm. So it's it's just a case of it's actually really hard. I've I've have in the past um, done an exercise of taking a shape and trying to lay lines over the top of it and match the curvature of something that was done in pixels, and it can actually be really, really hard. You start to really appreciate how complex some curves can actually get and figuring out where to put your, your points for your lines and then how to move the control points. It, it can be very interesting. You spend a lot of time adding more points in the middle of lines.
0: To yeah. Get I've seen. Oh, I finally got the shape you were just talking about. Okay, I got the squircle and stuff. Um I've seen that in uh I'm really fond of draw.io as the replacement for the ridiculously expensive OmniGraffle and uh, I've been using it a lot but one of the problems I have is I'll draw I'll draw a line and uh between two objects and I'll I'll just touch the line in the middle and all of a sudden I've just added a control point and I'm like okay what is that and I drag it out of the way and all of a sudden my curve is just like whee! I end up with these like fun house diagrams and I have to go through and get each one and like drag them all back where they belong to make a, what I thought was a straight line. But when I get control of them, it's pretty fun. I see what they're for, but one of the, one they have of the to be used with tools. caution.
1: Yeah. One of the best tools to learn how to use when you're really trying to perfect a curve is how to use the undo button. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> There's a lot of trial and error. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I could, Go on for ages trying to explain how this works but um, maybe we can come up with an image to put in the show notes to just show one of those lines with the with the control points yeah and yeah if you go i think adobe illustrator i did use that once many years ago you can get more complex ones that have multiple control points per point on the line and that that gets seriously crazy and the mathematics behind them can be done differently as well but fundamentally it's the same thing it's Here's a, here's a control point, the line from that to the end point of the line is the tangent you're going to start on, is, is the basic way of doing it. Huh. So once you have straight lines and Bayesian curves, uh, each of those is just from one point to another, what you can then do is you can put a whole bunch of them together, and that's called a path. And a path can be open or closed, so a closed path is quite simply where the start and the end are in exactly the same place. So for example, a circle would be a closed path and a square would be a closed path. Whereas a circle has got four curved sections going from west to north, north to east, east to south, south to west. And a square would go from you know top left to top right to bottom right to bottom left to top left. Those are considered separate uh, curves? So those are separate line segments, but the whole thing is a path. Okay. So if you draw uh, a a picture of the uh, what's a good example uh, the, I, I like drawing the pictures of of the kiwi that the royal new zealand air force use on their aircraft markings because i have used it in several situations and it's got about oh i would say 70 80 different line segments on it to go around the shape of you know a kiwi which is basically a blob with a head and a beak and two legs with <laughs> so do, four you, do you trace sort of it essentially? I tried, and then I, I'll mention at the end the easy way to do that. Um, <laughs> there's a tool you can buy to do it all for you. I don't know how they do the maths, but it's its very successful. But, yeah, so it's a lot of individual line segments. So each toe might be four or five segments to get all the curves of the toe and then the toenail and etc. Uh whereas the body uh, is probably only about three or four line segments to get a slightly complex curve around the back, but that goes over a much greater distance because it's, in the large, whereas the toes are in the small, hmm. so that's another example of a closed. Most curves are going to be, sorry, paths are going to be closed because you're going to be drawing shapes, and really the only difference between an open and a closed path is that when you draw the path, you just don't draw the last section on an open curve. So if you imagine uh, a U shape, you draw a letter U with a curve or a couple of curves, maybe and then you stop and the and the, so the start is the top left of the U and the end is the top right of the U if you tell it to draw that it'll draw a letter U if you tell it to fill that path it's you will see it fill up like a bucket okay so the, right. there'll be right right let, let's say you fill it in blue and you draw it in green so you'll have a green letter U and it'll be filled with blue like it would be a bucket filled with water but there's no green across the top and it will fill it It'll still fill it. There's an implied line oh. on an unclosed, on an open path. There's an implied line from the start to the finish. And if you fill that, that implied line gets used as the boundary, but it doesn't draw the line as such.
0: Oh, that's really so, interesting. That's a big difference between a pixel editor. If you tried to fill something, it would just, you'd have green all over your uh, yeah, your diagram. It would
1: just leak out, as it were. <laughs> right. So an open path really is, is exactly the same as a closed path, but there's an implied and always straight line segment that, that never gets actually drawn. And what I've started describing here is what's called stroke and fill, at least in all the applications I've ever used. So stroke is you stroke the path, so you draw you know pixels along the path to represent the path itself, and then fill is you fill in the inside of the shape of the path. So for the example of um, the no symbol, you wouldn't use fill. Well, no, you wouldn't use fill because you don't want to, anything to be filled in because you want to see what's behind the sign, right? So right. you would just have the stroke on the circle and the line that goes across, but you wouldn't have fill. Whereas if you were drawing, uh, let's say, a, a star, then you would probably fill the star with gold and you might not actually draw the outside of it. You might not draw the line around the outside. You might just want a gold star. So the stroke would be. Uh, technically transparent or not present, and the fill would be gold.
0: Okay. Okay. So, so stroke is that that edge around what is already an
1: edge. It's it's if you I don't know if you took technical drawing at any point in your schooling. Yes, I did. Um, where you would sort of build the construction lines and then you would ink in the ones that you actually needed, right? Uh, in the final result. So the inking is the stroking. It's 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 okay. filling in and, okay. and showing a representation of what you what you want over the scaffold of you know, the line segment. So the line segment always has no thickness. When you stroke it, you can give it a thickness. All right. So it's almost it's almost like getting your pen and okay. just going over that thin pencil line. Oh. And and that's why it's called stroke. OK, because you then you stroke with your pen or brush or whatever. And in some of the fancier ways you can do it, you can actually use brushes, which gets kind of interesting. So you can perfectly mathematically define a curve and then make it look like it's hand-painted, which I think is a an interesting... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Dichotomy? Something like that. <laughs> right, right. Um. So, yeah, and when you're setting the stroke and fill attributes you can pick a color like i've described or you can go crazy and you can pick a gradient uh, you know a linear gradient or a radial gradient you can specify transparency so for example your uh, which example the bucket for example the upside you know the the u shape you might put some transparency on the blue that fills it and then you can place it over other shapes and you'll see the shapes through the water for example hmm. and oh what, that's interesting what this, also brings me to is the fact that you've probably got used to using layers in your pixel editors recently and I know that's been something that took you a while to to get a grasp of why you would want to use that.
0: Well, no, it wasn't layers I had trouble with. It's always been masking I've had trouble with. Layers right. I understood, but the masking is the uh, the
1: tricky bit. Well, the good news is you don't need to worry about masking in Affinity Designer. Oh good. <laughs> well, it's kind of there, but it's it's all implied. So Basically, every single path is on its own layer. Okay. Every single one. You draw a path somewhere, it, that's, that's a new layer. So every path is either above or low any other path. The whole thing is one giant stack. Now, if if you've got 10 paths on the left of your screen and 10 on the right, then obviously how each of the sets of 10 relate to each other probably doesn't matter, but they do. And... The example of the um, the, uh, the U shape with the water blue in it, if you put that on top of another shape, you will see that other shape through the transparent blue. But if you put it below the other shape, then the transparency serves for nothing because you're just going to see the solid shape on top of it. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Unless, of course, you add transparency to that. And <laughs> transparency i've I tend not to use it a lot because it is seeing through color, whereas in your pixel editing with your masks you're actually trying to get rid of stuff so that you can't see it but with a a path, you always have implied that the only stuff that exists is on the path and the fill for the path, so anything outside of that is automatically transparent in fact, you could think of it like that, but actually it's not automatically transparent it doesn't exist. Whereas on a pixel layer, you always have the implied pixels across the entire layer and you have to get rid of them if you don't want them.
0: Say that one more time.
1: If you take layers in Affinity Photo, so you have different layers with different pixels on them, you've effectively got a full rectangle of pixels and you use masks to say, I don't want to see these pixels on this particular layer. So you have to get get rid of those pixels. With vector-based shapes, those don't even exist because you don't have a layer of pixels. You're just describing what you do have. So there's nothing to actually get rid of.
2: Hmm. I have to hence think about that.
1: Hence why you don't have to worry about masking. You're not creating a rectangular pixels and then saying, I don't want to see these. You're just creating what you do want to see. Huh. Okay.
0: Okay. So when when you do transparency, is it for... So a, a shape, a path can have uh, a fill. Like we talked about, you've got your U and it's got that green fill inside. Does Can you change the transparency of the fill versus the the border?
1: I guess that's the stroke. The stroke. Yes. Yep. You, you certainly can. The There's basically two sections. Whenever you're working with a path, there's the fill and the stroke, and you can set all sorts of Um, details of of each one of those independently. So the stroke, for example, gets even more fun if you, instead of just drawing a simple line, you can draw a dotted line. Or as I said before, you can use the brush um, approach where it actually tries to sort of paint it as if it had been, you know, you've been using an implement rather than just mathematically creating this path. So you can have the, the fill, which was blue, by the way, not green, because the water's blue. Sorry. Um, I, I had a feeling I had it backwards, but I you tell me if it was. <laughs> so you can have the fill that's, you could actually have a gradient that went from dark blue at the bottom to a lighter blue at the top and was transparent. And then the fill, uh, sorry, the, the stroke, stroke, which we, I think I said was green. Let's say it's a dark green. You could have that be a gradient from dark to light, uh, left to right, just to be different and be a dotted line. Wow. And you can set set the dotted line to be short, long, short, long, you know, all these sorts of different attributes that you can apply. And that gets really interesting. Yeah, if, if you're drawing um, something that's, I'm trying to think of example, like you might see in a, in a uh, book of coupons, you might see a little dotted line for, you know, cut around this coupon here sort of thing. <laughs> right. So it's easy to do things like that just by using a stroked path. So you might think you might have to draw a whole lot of individual line segments, but you don't, you just draw the, the surround and then use a dotted path to actually you know show the, the dotted line. And there's all sorts of other attributes you can set on these things to, to make them look different.
0: So I'm, I'm dinking around playing with this, and by the way, I was already able to make my no symbol in about the first 15 seconds we were talking, so it's been worth the price of admission for me. But how do you tell it when to make do something to the line, or to, the, to the stroke versus the fill? I mean, they're all one layer, right? So if you change the fill opacity, that would, that would change everything.
1: You select a shape, or a, a technically a path, mm-hmm. and then once you've selected it, you get to set the attributes of it, which will include the stroke and the fill attributes. Hmm. And then you you can you know do other things with it, like scale it and, and things like that. Because the other thing too is once you've drawn a shape, once you've drawn a U, for example, well let, let's say you've drawn the no symbol, you've got this beautiful circle with a line across it. You can then select if you group those two lines um, as as a single object, which yeah, that's mm-hmm gets slightly more complex to describe, but once they were grouped, you could then select that combined object, grab a corner and pull it and end up with a squashed looking nose symbol where it stretched the whole thing proportionally because it's just curves. And if you take a circle and you stretch it, you get an ellipse. So that's what it gives you.
0: Right. Now, that's interesting. Mine, uh, I did it and it's, it's keeping it a circle, which is actually what I would have wanted.
1: Uh, it's probably one of those things oh, where. Oh no! I was grabbing
0: quite, a corner.
1: That's nice. Yeah, if you if you grab a corner, it defaults to keeping the same aspect ratio. But if you hold down probably Option, it will allow you to go free with that. Yeah, I was and trying if you grab that, and that. a side didn't. But the side, the side definitely does whatever yeah, it wants to do. If you grab a side, it will default to leaving you know one dimension intact and just but pulling with, the other one.
0: What's awesome about it is if you were to do that, let's say you did want it to be an oval instead of a circle, the line width stays the same. The stroke stayed the same width. It didn't make that thinner or thicker, depending on how it had been stretched.
1: Correct, because you're, what you're stretching is the equation.
0: <laughs> right, so right, right. We're back to the space
1: the equation of a circle into the equation of an ellipse, and then it's still saying, oh, and draw that with a five-pixel width or five-units width or whatever it is. So yeah, you you don't get a squished looking uh, stroke on your new ellipse.
0: So I can pretty much make the uh, no symbol and then I'm done. I just saved my 50 bucks there. I just spent that and I, I could have had you make me one. Uh, no, but uh, you know, I'm going to get addicted to this, but I can take that one symbol now and I can reuse that for anything I want to put the no symbol on. I don't have to create separate sizes because I have all sizes essentially right
1: now, right? Yep, you, could, you can just grab that corner and drag it to suit. Wow. And you can use Affinity Designer to, you can bring in yeah. your image as, you know, your your pixel-based image. Let's say it's an icon of, of something. And drop it in there as a layer. Now, obviously you don't have all the benefits of of scaling and you know adding attributes to that image, but all the stuff that does scale, you can scale down to suit the image. So you can leave the image at the perfect size for you know its original source and yeah. then scale everything down to match it. So you can have a teeny tiny little icon and you can scale that little no symbol down to a teeny tiny size. Okay. And there 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 is a way of controlling too that. Where you pulled it bigger, it left the line width the same. You can actually set it to, say, scale the line width as well. So you might say if the circle is, you know, yay big, then the line width should be 10% of the height of the circle. You can actually set it so that it will always be 10% no matter what the size. So then you can just take your perfectly proportioned no symbol and shrink the whole thing down onto a tiny icon or pull it big over a whole screenshot or something, and it will still look good. (laughs) <laughs> Whereas if you don't do that and you shrink it small, you'll just end up with a blob because the line thickness will eventually be more than the size of the circle.
0: Right, right. I have just done it already. I did that, that uh, article about the MagSafe connector, which they won't have heard about yet by the time they've, they're listening to this, but uh, I could just get rid of my MagSafe connector symbol there. I've just put a nice big no against it. And now I've improved my artwork already. That is
1: so fun. It's a lot of fun to play around with. And the other thing that um, certainly Affinity Designer has uh, has plenty of this, in fact, it's this is real fun, uh, in preparation for this, I was sort of having a play with the, the application just to sort of get a feel for more of it. There are shape tools, and there's squares slash rectangles, circles slash ellipses, but there's some really cool ones in there as well. Have a play with the star one, and there's another one. um, Oh, they're under the triangle, I think, here? Yeah, there's there's a fly-out menu with a whole lot of different shapes. There's a star, and there's, is it a cog or something?
0: see a star. I got a pie tool, crescent tool, cog tool. Ooh, cog looks fun.
1: That's amazing, because what it does is you can draw... Um, these complex <gasps> shapes manually, oh, but what I'm they've t- done
0: is—sorry, <laughs> t- this is really fun. <laughs> Sorry, I'll let so you explain what, they've what I'm worked doing. Worked
1: out is what the basic parameters of a star are, for example, and there's I think three. So, you have the number of points, and you have the relative radius. So, if, if you imagine a standard five-pointed star, you have the points effectively describe a circle. And then where they come in, there's effectively another circle that's inside it. And so you can set the relative proportion of that inside circle of the outside so you can get a star with, you know, big shallow fat points or long skinny points. Hmm. And you can just drag a slider that says anywhere. You can actually go down to three points, which is fun. Uh, Anywhere up to, I don't know what it is, 70 or something ridiculous number of points. So you can just drag that slider up and down and it just adds more points and you can move the radius and it makes them shorter and fatter or longer and skinnier, and then you can you know rotate it if you want your first point to be not at the top or something like that. The cog one, on the other hand, just have a play with it. it's so much fun you you can create there's so many designs that I've created over the years that that cog tool could just do in a snap really um, you can create stuff that looks like uh well, I once drew a cog the hard way by starting off with two circles and then adding a whole bunch of straight lines across it, like a you know, like a star, and then using unions and intersections and stuff like that. Which I should also mention is very, very powerful. What you can do is you can draw multiple shapes and then you can tell the application to join them in certain ways. And if you imagine a Venn diagram, if you, you create your your two circles or ellipses to gener- to represent your two sets and then they cross over in the middle which is the intersection. So you can select those two ellipses and say, give me the intersection and what you'll get is that little sort of pointed top and bottom middle section as the result or you can say union in which case you'll get like a, you know, almost like a, a lazy eight shape that, mm. that doesn't, it's not two ellipses anymore, it's just one lazy eight shape. Or there's various other actions you can do as well that that have different effects on. I think there's one where you can actually, I said difference or something, where you can actually take out the middle piece so that it's not there anymore. So the bit where they overlap doesn't overlap. And yet it's still one shape. There's all sorts of things you can do like that. And and what I would do with the no sign, for example, is I might take the circle and the line and group them as probably an easy way, but you could also do a union of them. And then it is physically one shape. Now I'm not quite sure how that one will behave, but um, you can take it further still. And this one gets very meta if you think about it too hard. If you imagine you draw a circle, let's say you use the circle tool for simplicity, and you say, "Give me a stroke that's 30 pixels wide." There's an option in Affinity Designer to say "expand stroke," and what that does is instead of remembering that you've got a circle that's however big it is at the moment and it's got a 50 pixel stroke it will actually create a filled path that is made up of two circles one 50 pixels bigger than the other so you don't have a stroke anymore you just have a filled shape that looks like the original stroke so
0: it's what's the bigger. advantage of that that sounds like what i used to have to do over in
1: the pixel editors The advantage of that is that you can then tweak things. So if you wanted that stroke to get a little bit fatter over there, well, because it's a stroke, you you can't. It's always going to be X pixels wide the whole length. There's nothing you can do about that. But if you turn that into a filled shape, I mean, the the really simple example I should have used perhaps is a straight line. You draw a straight line and you say, make it 20 pixels wide. It looks like a rectangle. If you right-click that line and say, convert to path, or was it convert stroke to path? I think it is. It will actually be a rectangle. And then you can edit that as a rectangle. Now, that's not terribly useful in that very simple case. But in some more complex cases, you, know, <clears throat> you can take a letter, for example, put some text in there, convert the font, um, the actual letters of your text to paths, and then you can start tweaking your letters. You know, you might want to put a longer stroke on the capital R or something like that, which you can just pull it out manually because it's now a completely editable shape. Hmm. Very, very okay. powerful stuff.
0: That actually sounds like the opposite of what I would want, but I can see why that would be a, a, a useful thing.
1: The, the best example I can think of that I've actually done with that approach was a logo that I did for a business that my wife set up many years ago. And the, the business was called Hijinx, H-I-J-I-N-X. And the lowercase X, there was a cat sitting next to it. And what I was able to do was take one of the strokes off the X and use the cat's tail as the second stroke on the X.
0: <laughs> nice. So you actually have <laughs> so, to be creative then and be part of this. Uh, <laughs> as with many such pastimes,
1: yes, you do. Dang. That's the problem. I'm, I can draw circles and squares. <laughs> <laughs> you'd be surprised just if you I mean I as I said in preparation for this I started having a play with it and I just went through that shape menu to see what they all did and that was so much fun and every now and then I suddenly thought oh actually I could use that for so yeah it, it will come into its own I think um as I need to do things like having played with it it's, it's like all things you go through and read the manual and then you know that later on when you think I wonder actually yes I remember it could do that
0: yeah, so just having fun with it can sometimes be the advantage, right? Where you can once you've played with it for a little bit, you're saying, "Okay, now I can remember that oh, when I need a cogwheel, I've got me a cogwheel. I know how to do that."
1: Yeah, well I I was trying to draw an icon for uh an iOS app that I, I wanted a cog and I thought I'm not going to just go and steal somebody else's I'll draw my own. Probably took me an hour or more. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's not going to take long now. Right, right. Just um, it's probably actually the, the flip side of that is I'm probably going to spend almost as long trying to decide just how many teeth I want on the cog because it's that easy to change. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting there deciding something, you know, this is important stuff,
0: right? Yeah. Well, uh, well, I want to make sure we don't forget to talk about uh, one of the funnest creative things you did with this that has great benefit to me, and that's what you did with my logo.
1: Right. That, that was... Very early on, after I bought Designer, I, I thought, what's it, something I can try and replicate using these tools? To, because you know, having an actual task to accomplish, I think, is a better way to learn a tool than just playing with a tool. Yeah. And so I took your pod feet, like I found the biggest example I had, which I think was the one that you, you have it on your server somewhere. So when I'm recording podcasts, I, I see it there. So I pulled it down. It was 512 pixels square, I think. Okay. Of,
0: I should say this was drawn, by the way, by uh, Ryan Sakamoto, a fabulous artist who donated that to me.
1: And I suspect, having tried to replicate it, that he drew it with a vector-based tool. Ah. Um, Yeah. So the trick there was to figure out what the primitive shapes were. Now, obviously, the, 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 the main foot shape is a complex curve, and I was able to just, you know, start thinking, well, it sort of turns there, so I'll put a point there and I'll try and make it fit. And I was adding and subtracting different segments in the path to try and get it to fit just so. So you weren't tracing, you were doing this by eye? I was laying points. So I had I brought the, the largest image that I had, the, the 512 pixel image in, and I blew it up. So it looked horrible when I blew it up, but I wanted it you know, as large on the screen as I could to try and closely match the curves. And then I literally clicked to create points on a curve and then just slowly push those points around and push the control points around until the curve looked like it matched what was on the pixels.
0: Oh, wow. Which is a lot easier than drawing freehand.
1: Uh, If you've just got a mouse or a trackpad, absolutely. I suspect if you had a graphics tablet and you were proficient with it, it might actually be quicker to go freehand. And Affinity Designer does have a freehand tool where you can just draw out a line and it'll... Uh, create a, a series of line segments for your path that approximates the line that you drew. And then you can then tweak that, which is it's actually quite interesting to play with, but I found it's very difficult to do with a mouse.
0: Yeah. But, yeah. Interesting. Okay. It's
1: interesting. Siri just fired off on my watch for some reason. Anyway, <laughs> we didn't hear it. No. Um, so, yeah, so I, I just laid these points out on one of the feet and tweaked the curves. Oh, goodness knows how long it took me to until I was happy with that. And that gave me the basic shape of that. The toes were a bit easier because they're essentially just ellipses. Then I had a look at the shading on there, and there's actually two types of shading. There's around the edges it gets darker, but also there's like a highlight. And yeah. I at that. And if you look carefully at pretty much any version of, of your original graphic, you can see that the highlight is just an ellipse. And it's got a, a gradient mm. that goes from white to transparent on it. So once I figured that out, it's like, okay, we'll put a, an ellipse there. And then getting that ellipse the perfect angle and, you know, just fat enough and thin enough in the right places. And then I set the gradient on it and then started playing with the colors. Um, and the darkness around the edge of the, the outline of the foot, there is um, a gradient. I'm trying to remember how I did this, but there's a gradient feature where you can set the gradient so that it goes from one color at the stroke. And then goes to the other color in the middle.
2: Oh so it basically oh, sort of okay.
1: Shades around the edge. I, I can't remember exactly how I did that, but you know you could look at the file and, and have a look at the attributes on that. And then what I did was well, I actually went the hard way on the toes and then came back and did it the easy way is I drew one toe, which was an ellipse with the, the shading on the edges, and a highlight ellipse, which was the, the gradient of white through the transparent. And I did the big toe, and I got that just so. And I looked at the other toes, and I thought they're all just replicas. And there's another really cool feature that came out in Designer 1.5 called symbols. And what it lets you do is, I drew a toe, and then said, "Okay, that's a symbol. Now, give me four copies of that symbol, and I'm going to scale those individually. And I now have five toes of different sizes. And I did have trouble because the the way that the um, shading around the edges was happening, I had to make sure that that stayed the same thickness regardless of the size of the toe. So that's where I was talking before about, you can set the strokes. Like a percentage size or? A percentage or? or an absolute. So in, my, in this case, they had to be absolute so that they would retain the same thickness of the shading regardless of the size of the toe. So once I got one toe right, I was then able to duplicate them and, and scale them down and get them in the right place. And then I took the foot and the five toes and made that a symbol <laughs> and then said, duplicate it, flip it and put it up there. And so the whole second foot is basically the first foot flipped over.
0: So you really made uh, one, one foot and one toe. Yeah. And then you were done, except for making them into symbols. That's pretty yeah. cool. So now yeah. once it, you've done that, you've got the, their layers. Did you, jo- did you join them together or what did you, you do next?
1: Yeah, for sanity grouping is, is very useful in, in all of these types of applications. So you know, once I, I got the the foot and its highlight, in fact it's got two highlights. It's got one on the foot pad and one on the heel. Once I got that right, I took the foot and the two highlight ellipses and said, make that a group. Oh, okay. And then you can then you can just grab what you see as the foot and just move it around and, and those three things go together. And then But the toes weren't know, the, grouped. So the toe is um, one ellipse with another ellipse So that was grouped Okay, And then I may or may not have grouped all five toes And then taken the group of five toes And grouped that with a foot And so you end up with massively hierarchical groups Generally <laughs> speaking
0: Oh, well you're not the kind of person Who likes hierarchical uh, organizations So <laughs> that's good No, not at all <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, so now what really intrigued me, and this is going to kind of circle us back to where we started, was after you did that, you gave me the Affinity Designer file, but I was able to open that in Affinity Photo, and it maintained all of these layers, and they were still scalable.
1: Yeah. Well, it's it's...
0: <laughs> Top of my head blew off
1: when you did that. I read somewhere from the the folks at Affinity that one of their initial goals when they first set out, because I think Designer was the first one they released, when they first set out, they wanted one file format. Now, there are AF design files and there are AF photo files. There's two different extensions. But they said they wanted a single file format between all their applications. And what I think it means is that that file that I sent you has descriptions of paths that, you know, make up shapes that look like feet or pod feet specifically. And both of their applications can handle showing you that and handle probably basic operations with it. Where Affinity Designer is different to Affinity Photo is in the tools that it provides you to work with them and to create the the bits and pieces. So if you took a photo into Affinity Designer, you could do things to it, but not much in terms of what you would need to do with a photo. But you could work with it in there. And similarly, you can work with shapes in Affinity Photo. But you can't do all the fancy stuff, for example. But the fact that they're built on the same engine, I think, means that they can display them to you. So the the paths are already described. The basic attributes are there. All they've got in their engine knows how to deal with that. So they just render it. And scaling is actually a pretty basic thing to do. It's just multiplying some numbers out in those paths it can do that. If you wanted to edit those individual shapes and you know, tweak their shapes and attributes, then you might have a, a harder time of it, I suspect. Although I haven't tried that.
0: Okay. Okay. But I can take the toes and move them farther apart from each other. I can make the big toe even bigger.
1: Yeah. Because you're just moving objects around. And if you go into Affinity Photo now, you can create circles and squares and other shapes. You probably can't create cogs. Right. But you could I I would imagine you could open up a design a document that had cogs in photo and see them, but you probably wouldn't be able to edit the cogs because those are the more complex things that only designer knows how to work with.
0: But I can, so for example, turn off um the the ovals that are the the highlights on all of the toes with within Affinity Photo. So I've still yeah. got some granular control. In fact, I bet I could even change the the shape and size of these these objects,
1: which is yeah, I, and they're I, I scalable. Suspect, which makes I suspect uh, it's when you get down to the the details of the attributes that may prove problematic. But all you're basically doing is taking paths and moving them and scaling them.
0: Yeah,
2: and,
1: and photo can do that natively without designer involved at all. You can create but, circles and but, squares but, and but I'm them. looking at
0: a pixel pusher. How can I? <laughs> How can I be doing vectors? <laughs> yeah,
1: Photoshop said that for a while as well. Where we, you could you know bring up the circle tool and there were different modes. You could say pixels, in which case it would literally just paint the circle on your on your layer. Okay. Or you could leave it as a path, in which case it would not actually do anything. But you could then later come back to it and use it to create masks or or whatever, you know, or, or turn it into pixels or or anything. Um, or you could create a shape layer, much as we've done with Affinity Designer, where it is a circle that's described as a circle rather than just a bunch of pixels that you set in stone uh, when you first create it.
0: Wow. This is really getting into the magical category. And to think that this application is $50. I mean, (laughs) they're they're really setting things on fire here, I think, in the design community.
1: If you want to blow your mind... There are some sample images. I think there's a, when you launch, there's a little window that pops up and you can get them from there. You might be able to find it again through some sort of welcome menu option or something. Have a look at what's possible and then just (laughs) consider that this is all built up out of shapes.
0: Well, you know, I don't think you should do that. And I'll tell you why. Because I did that before and I said, yep, I'm not getting Affinity Designer (laughs) because I'm there. I can't do that. That is not where I'm going. That is not in my skill set ever, 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 ever. So I assumed that this was a tool that would have no value to me. But I think I can see applications of where I would use this to do much simpler things. But it's cool to know it's possible. But I think that that's likely to intimidate people.
1: Yeah, I, I look at it this way. It's it's a case of if it can do that, then it can certainly accommodate anything I can think of. <laughs> well, there's that. That's for sure.
0: The other thing is that um, there's a one one of the advantages of Photoshop, and I, I heard this described by somebody was that no matter what you want to do, somebody has made a video on how to do it. So you can just go into YouTube and say, uh, you know, add a blah blah blah, and you, you know, press it, boom, you're going to have your answer. The folks at Affinity have been making videos for a long time and they make these nice bite-sized videos that kind of describe, uh, let's say you want to change the lighting in a picture. Here's how you would go about doing it. So they don't go tool by tool by tool as a tutorial that way. They do it as here's something you might want to do, or you want to move this bridge from this photo over to that one. How would you do it where it was blended correctly? So you'd learn a bunch of different things in there. And now there's communities popping up, um, in, in both the Google plus and in Facebook. Like I just joined one called affinity photo to Tutor- user tutorials. So now it's going to be a place where people can, you know, plug their tutorials and say, Hey, you want to know how to do this? I did this little tutorial. And, uh, if, if designer, it, it was there, I, I I've been seeing a lot more stuff for designer than I have for affinity photo and affinity photo has a ton of stuff. So I think there's a lot of people to learn from too.
1: Yeah, I think Designer was their first one, so it's been around quite a bit longer. It's probably why it has more. Yeah, uh, and yeah, all the things that I had trouble describing, like even right back at the start, or how how a Bezier curve works, uh, they've got a video for that. It's, it's actually really and they're really really good videos too. That they as you say, they're they're bite sized. They focus on one thing, and they'll often show you different ways of doing it or different aspects uh, of of one very narrow subject as well. They're really really, actually. It's a great TV channel, if you ask me. I, w- I would sit there and watch a stream of that for hours.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I watched probably twenty-five Affinity Photo tutorials before I bought the tool because I just wanted to. I wanted to know what it was and what it did, and whether it was going to be the kind of tool I could use. But they were so addictive. Even like you say, the things that maybe I'll never do, I still love learning it and watching it and seeing what you could do.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's 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 very entertaining as as well as informative.
0: Yeah. Well, I promised I wouldn't keep you too long, but I've already kept you uh, past, uh, past our, our due date here. Um, to review, Affinity Designer is $50. Affinity Photo is $50. It's on special for $40 U.S. right now. And you've and it's at affinity.serif.com,
1: S-E-R-I-F.com. Or in the App store.
0: Oh, yes, yes, of course, uh, definitely Mac App Store. So that's another huge advantage. You're talking $50 for every, every Mac you have. They're working on an affinity photo for iPad.
1: Yep. And there's, they've just released Affinity Photo for Windows as well.
0: Right, right. Yeah. So they made a code base, uh, that, like you talked about, the other things they were doing to design up front so that you could open their, their files in both applications. They designed from the bottom up so that it would be cross-platform, that all they needed to do was build the GUI for the, for the Windows side. So it is native in both places with the same code base. So it's going to have feature parity as you go forward, which is just amazing.
1: Yep. It's, yeah, as you and I were discussing, uh, a lot of people are having their lunch eaten by these guys.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is crazy. And it also brings these tools down to the, to the normal people, you know, brings it down to the masses, I think in a, in a good way and not in a compromised way much.
1: No, there's there's not a word I would use. And in in the case of these tools, I've I've used other things that are Photoshop pretenders and pretenders they are, but this, this really is uh, very rapidly getting up to the level of Photoshop. There's lots of little things around the edges that it can't do yet, but all the basic stuff is there and it's full strength.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now you had a link in here to Image Vectorizer. What what is that?
1: Yeah, we'll leave that as a as a little uh palette cleanser at the end. I, I mentioned earlier on about tracing shapes, you know, like the, the pod feet and whatnot, and that there was an easier way. I found an app called Image Vectorizer. It was in the Mac app store for four ninety nine. And if you've got something that looks like it is, you know, flat color, straight, you know, not straight lines, but clean lines, and you want to turn that into a vector image, this does a pretty darn good job of it. I actually took a a, um, a hand-drawn picture that my wife had drawn, and I had previously scanned it in and done some work on the colors to try and make it strictly black and white rather than the, the subtle colors of the paper and the ink. And I gave it to this application and it went blip, and then I had a vector-based image of it and it looks like a slightly cleaned up hand-drawn image. It's absolutely fantastic. So if you've got a, a very simple shape, like a you know a simple logo, for example, it'll it'll do that hands down. If you give it a photo, I suspect it might go a little crazy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, it doesn't create layers with all the
1: different shapes, does it? No, it creates a big mass of paths, but you can then go in and tweak them if you want. And, and what oh, okay. it, the key thing that gives you is that whatever it creates and however that looks is hundred percent scalable. Well, a million percent scalable, infinitely percent <laughs> scalable. <laughs> this has been really
0: cool. Yeah. Um, the price I have here is a little bit different, $7 and 49 cents, but still that, that's amazing okay. for what's your time worth. That, that's crazy.
1: Yeah. And it's it, given a, a decent image, it's good and it's fast.
0: There you go. There you go. Cool. Well, Alistair, thank you again, as always, for coming on the show. This was fantastic. Why don't you tell people where they can find you and um, and keep track of you?
1: Easy peasy. Just go to zkarj.me and everything's there.
0: All right. All right. Very good. Well, thanks again for, for coming on the show. This is fantastic. Just uh, I knew it would be a fun and easy way to learn it. And uh, now i got to go watch about 400 videos.
1: Absolutely.
0: Always fun to be here. All right. Happy New Year. And to you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. We are now supported by Patreon. So if you go over to podfeet.com slash Patreon, you can pledge your support to the show in weekly installments. If you don't have money to spare, I understand that. And it would be great if you used our Amazon affiliate links when you buy things on Amazon anyway, and a little bit of money goes to help the show. I love feedback. So please send me email at allison at podfeed.com. And you can join in our Facebook group over at podfeed.com slash Facebook and our community at podfeed.com slash Google+. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.